Welcome to Livingstone Church. My name is Josh Golaxon. And for the last time, I will be saying I am the pastor here. I'm looking forward to saying I am one of the pastors here after this guy gets ordained. All right. Well, we are glad you are here. We're glad you have joined together with us this morning. Just a reminder, we are here first and foremost to worship our triune God. That is why we have gathered. And second, and not much less important, we are here to celebrate uh, what God has done through James. And we'll be explaining a little bit more about that when we come to his ordination section in the latter part of the service. Uh, you should have grabbed a worship guide and a songbook when you came in. That will be a helpful way to follow along in the service. The insert, uh, you're going to need that right away for our first song. Uh, Psalm 145 is on there. And then the rest, uh, hold on to that for the, for the ordination portion later on in the service. And then you can see uh, the details there in the worship guide. Also, we are a little potentially short on songbooks. So if we run out, we may need some people to share. So just a, a heads up on that. Uh, there is a nursery available downstairs for kids zero to three, if you need that. Uh, also, then we will have the meal and the uh, evening service at South Park. So we're, uh, if you're not from here, you can just probably type it into your GPS. But South Park uh, on South Park Ave, uh, pretty much just head there right after the service. I, I'm not sure. Whenever, whenever the food gets there and we're all set up, we'll eat. Okay, there's no time set for that. Um, depends how long the sermon is this morning. Um, no, it's actually going to be probably my shortest one ever, just so you're aware. Um, uh, and then we're having our evening service at five o'clock. So if you want to stick around, uh, stick around for our evening service. James is going to be doing, be doing the teaching for that. We're looking at the fourth commandment on keeping the Sabbath holy. So looking forward to that. Um, also, our summer conversation books have been selected. The first book is Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. If you have not yet read that book, uh, you need to. It's a fantastic book. It's a classic. Uh, that will be the first book for our June 18th summer conversation. So James will be sending out more information. Uh, you can go buy the book yourself, or if you want him to buy it, uh, you can coordinate that. So, all right. So I think that is it for announcements and details. So let's stand together for our call to worship as we acknowledge that it is our triune God who comes to meet with us, who calls us into his presence to worship him. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Let us pray. God, we gather together this morning as your people, and we desire to do what the psalmist says here. We desire to bless your name. We desire to praise your name forever and ever, God, because you are great. Your greatness is unsearchable. 
God, we ask that you would help us, that you would cause us to declare your works, to declare your mighty deeds from one generation to the next, to speak of, of who you are and what you've done, to sing aloud of your righteousness. God, may our praises this morning be pleasing in your sight. God, thank you for the work you have done and the work that you will continue to do in us and through us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship as we sing Psalm 145. And again, it's printed there on your insert. Bless your name, my God, blessing daily bring before you, and your praise forever sing. And a mortal search your greatness, the Lord's great and highly praised, day to day, each generation. As your acts and works of grace, ever glorious is your splendor. On your works, I'll meditate. For the tell of works most awesome, and I'll tell them you are great. Righteous hands from above, how the Lord gives grace and mercy, so to anguish in love. I'll declare the Lord's great mercies over all his works display. For the Lord is good and gracious, good to all that he has made. Just one shall rejoice and bless you, all your works shall give you praise. Kingdom's glory, they will sing of, and your mighty power of Of your acts, made known to the sons of men. Majesty and glory of your kingdom's reign will never end. Never will your name diminish. Through each age, it will remain. Over all your kingdom's Everlasting your domain Over all your kingdom stretches Everlasting your domain You may be seated.
In Psalm 145, we confessed what is true about God, what is true about his glory, his majesty, and his mercy. When we come together and we worship, we not only declare what is true about God, but it's also right for us to confess what is true about us. So we come together in worship, not just putting on a show. We are to come with humility. We're to come with honesty, coming and bringing our sins before our God, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So let's confess our sins together. The prayer is printed in your worship guide. Merciful Father, hear us now as we confess our sins together. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with all our hearts, soul, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. Deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong we have done and the good we have left undone. Lord, you are full of compassion and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. There is always forgiveness with you. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Bind up that which is broken. Give light to our minds, strength to our wills, and rest to our souls. Speak to each of us and let your word abide with us until it has wrought in us your holy will. Amen. If you have confessed your sins to our God, if you have looked to Jesus Christ, in faith, then the good news is that you have a new identity. It's not only true that you are a sinner, it is also true that God has declared in Christ Jesus that you are righteous, that you are adopted as sons and daughters. So hear this good news from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, this good news of what God says is true of us in Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is good news. So let's stand together. Let's sing. Let's worship Christ our Savior together as we sing, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. It's number 23 in your songbooks. Behold the one who stands, be 
the perfect son of man. In his living, in his suffering, never traced for sin of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the help on men, Christ the great and sore fulfillment of the law in The stand of page 59 as we continue to worship our God, as we continue to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we sing, Is He Worthy? Is it good that we 
remind ourselves Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? And I am to that who conquered the grave. He can save his food and the lamb who died to make some mistake. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Of our blessing and honor, Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move us? Hold forever those who must be our God intends to dwell again with us. He does. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the sea? The lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is hated through, and the lamb who died is on the From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he is made us a kingdom and peace to God to make it the sun. Is he worth of our blessing and honor and glory. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Yeah. Is he worthy? Every week we have a pastoral prayer where we pray together as a church for needs in the world, in our community, and in our church. And we pray for the mission of our church to bring the gospel to our city. At the end of the prayer, I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and we will all respond together, hear our prayer. And if you're not used to doing that and you forget to say, hear our prayer, that is okay. And then finally, we will pray together the Lord's Prayer 
Uh, if you were wondering the verbiage we use, whether it's debtors or trespasses or things like that, uh, we have it printed on page 135 in our songbooks. So you can turn there right now. But let us go before the Lord right now in prayer. We bless you, O Lord, from our souls with all that is within us. We bless your holy name. O Lord, we bless you. Help us not to forget your benefits, but to remember that it's you who forgives our iniquity. It's you who heals our diseases, who redeems our lives from the pit, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. It's you, O Lord, who works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. It's you who has made your ways known and your acts known to your people. God, you are merciful and gracious. You're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. We rejoice that you do not always chide or keep your anger forever, that you do not deal with us according to our iniquities, but that your steadfast love is as high as the heavens are above the earth, and that you have removed our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. O Lord, you have given us so much in Christ, but we are so quick to forget to run after lesser things. Teach us to recognize our own frailty, our own impermanence. We're like grass. We're like flowers that fade and are gone. Help us to rest in you, the one who does not change, whose steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. Father, we pray for our ministry as a church here in Oshkosh. May we be a people who live in constant remembrance of the gospel and in wonder of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. May we not forget. And as we live in light of your grace in Christ, may we be faithful to know, love, and serve one another and our community. Help us to be a people that are marked by hospitality, to step outside of the normal practices of Oshkosh and to really get to know our neighbors. We pray that you would bless our summer conversation series this year as we study the topic of evangelism. Help us to be faithful heralds of the gospel in our families, in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces. We pray also for the Golaxon family this summer as Josh is on sabbatical starting tomorrow. May this season be especially refreshing for them as a whole family. Help them to grow closer together as a family this summer as they enjoy a change of pace. We pray also that Josh would be spiritually renewed this summer, not only taking time away from his ordinary work, but also spending sweet time in communion with you in your word and in prayer. And we ask that he would return in September with a renewed vigor for the work of ministry and the ministry of the word. And lastly, Lord, God of compassion, we pray for the people of Uvalde, Texas, as they're still reeling from school, the school shooting on Tuesday. Father, we pray for the individuals, for the families who have lost family, who have lost friends, We pray for the counselors who are serving the community in this time, that you'd give them wisdom, give them compassion, the ability to listen well. We pray for the churches in that area, help them to know how to best serve those who are hurting, who are confused, those who are angry. Open doors for them to share the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We also pray for guidance for elected officials as they have challenging conversations about things to which there are not always simple answers in the wake of tragedies like this. Lord, we feel the world is broken and fallen in sin. 
that things are not as they should be. Lord, we feel the shadows deepen, but we know that all the dark will not stop the light from getting through. And we wish, Lord, we hope, Lord, that we will see all things made new. So come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord, in your mercy. Let's pray together as our Lord Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You can turn one page forward in the songbook to 136 for our affirmation of faith this morning, which is the Apostles' Creed. At Livingstone Church, we regularly affirm our faith through the historic creeds and confessions of Christianity. We believe that these are not a replacement for scripture, but that these historic creeds and confessions are faithful summaries of the basics of the Christian faith that has been believed throughout the centuries. And as we confess the Apostles' Creed this morning, the line that often confuses people is that we confess to believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, what Catholic means here is not that we believe in the Roman Catholic Church, but that we believe in the universal church. We believe that the church is bigger than just living stone, that it includes Christians throughout the ages, across time, and also across the world. And I think it's particularly appropriate this morning for us to confess that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church as we're gathered together from different cities, we're gathered together from different churches, from different denominations, but we're unified in our shared confession of our triune God and we're shared in our shared confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is what unites us as Christians, who we believe God is and what he has done for us in the gospel in Christ. So let's stand together and we're not just reading words. We're not just reciting words. We are confessing our faith. So Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You can actually remain standing, grab your Bibles, and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. All right, we made it. We made it to the end of Hebrews. Some of you might be saying, wait, there's one more chapter. Well, I'll explain. (laughs) 
We made it uh, to the end of our series through Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. Please pay attention to the reading of God's holy word. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you how, for how faithful you have been to be with us, to lead us and guide us through this long study of Hebrews. We ask, God, that as we wrap this up today, that we would look forward in faith, that we would look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we would continue to do that, God, that you would continue to work. So God, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts this morning to receive what you would have for us from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is that time of year again, time for graduation speeches. You see me standing up here in a robe and you're probably like, what is he talking about? But graduation speeches, estimates that there are over 27,000 high schools uh, in this nation, over 5,000 colleges and universities. Between all the guest speakers and the valedictorian speeches, that's a lot of words being spoken. A lot of attempts to motivate people, to tell them how great they are. Some of these speeches, maybe you've even heard them in the last couple weeks, some of these speeches are pretty good, right? Some of them are pretty not good. The most common refrains from these valedictorian speeches are, we're going to change the world. There's nothing we can't do if we put our minds to it. Look out, world, here comes the class of 2022 or whatever year it is, right? I think these speeches often reflect youthful optimism about the ways of the world and using the wisdom of the world. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that young people don't have anything to offer to the world. Many of us in this room who have been around for a while, we've been that young person, right? And we certainly at that stage didn't want to be told that we were naive or that we were wearing rose-colored glasses, But there is a realism with which we must approach life in this world, and the wisdom of God must guide that approach. In plain language, there are two messages. There are two voices, if you will. There is the voice of wisdom that comes from God, and there is the voice of folly that comes from the world. Our question is, to which one are we going to listen This has been a front burner issue all throughout Hebrews. 
And we especially need to ask it today as we wrap it up this morning. Remember, though we live in a very different time and place than this original audience, we are still faced today with similar temptations and with the pressure from the world around us to deny Jesus and to go back to the old way of doing things. That is a very real temptation in our day, just as it was for them. Now, there's one more important feature of graduation speeches. There's almost always this emphasis on where we've been, right? Looking back where we've been and looking forward to where we're going. So we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. I want to recap where we've been. We're going to take a brief summary of the last year and explain to you why are we ending Hebrews at the end of chapter 12 and not at the end of chapter 13. Well, last summer in preparation for doing beginning Hebrews in the fall, we did a sermon series on prophet, priest, and king. We looked at how Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king. We looked at two Old Testament passages that for each one of those, and then we looked at a New Testament passage to see how Jesus fulfilled those. And then we took a passage that showed how we as Christians in the church today fulfill those different types of roles as Christ sends us out to minister in the world. So there's a big emphasis in our passage today on Jesus being prophet, priest, and king. And it's been, again, a huge emphasis in Hebrews. Then in the fall, after we finished prophet, priest, and king, we did a four-week series on shepherding. So we talked about what it means uh, for elders to shepherd uh, the congregation, looking to Jesus as our chief shepherd. And so we actually, in that series, we preached Hebrews 13, 1 through 19. Uh, if you're not yet on the page in your Bible that has Hebrews 13, 17, uh, you can turn there. That was a very key verse. I want to remind you all, Livingstone Church, that this applies to James now. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. My challenge to you is to bless James this summer with a groan-free summer, okay? It'll be to no advantage to you if James is groaning. I don't want to come back in September and walk in and James is like, oh, it's been so hard. All right, a little joking there, but, but seriously, don't make it groaning for him. Um, so then after that series, the first Sunday in October, we began our series in Hebrews and we started the Hebrew series in Hebrews 13, starting in verse 20. We looked at this glorious benediction, which James is going to give in a little bit, his first official benediction as an ordained minister. And then we looked at the final greetings there, that last paragraph, which is really the only place we get any details of who the author of Hebrews may have been or who this audience may have been. So we kind of started at the end because we wanted to fill in those details. Then we went back to chapter one and we started in the beginning and we worked our way slowly through this letter. And I want you to flip back with me to Hebrews chapter one. We emphasize how Jesus is our prophet, our priest and our king and how he is superior and, and better. We use that word all throughout Hebrews. Jesus is better. That's really been our theme. He's better than all of the things that people had previously relied upon or looked to for hope. Now look here at these prophet, priest, and king elements. Verse 1 and 2. 
Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. God has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is our prophet. Look down to verse three. The, kind of the end of verse three, after making purification for sins, which is going to be, which was a huge theme in Hebrews, right? Jesus as our great high priest. So there's this emphasis right in the beginning. Jesus made purification for sins. He is our priest. Then what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is reigning in heaven as our king right now as we speak. So Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and king. This is this incredible intro to this whole letter about the superiority of Jesus. And now you can flip back to our passage for today, to chapter 12. Now we come to this parallel conclusion. I made the argument when we started Hebrews that chapter 13, and, and most scholars would kind of agree with this, that chapter 13 is kind of like a PS that is tacked on to the end of the letter. It doesn't mean that it's any less inspired. Nobody came in and added it later. But the author makes his, his main argument from chapter 1-1 through chapter 12-29, and he bookends these sections with this emphasis on who Jesus is as our prophet, priest, and king. And then he kind of adds on these like final greetings and, and final, final exhortations that he gives. So to tie all that up, the sermon title for this morning, which is the longest sermon title you may have ever heard. Uh, James and I were laughing this morning. He was or uh, laughing this week, he was sitting at the computer and I, he was finishing up the worship guide. I said, all right, I got it. You ready for this longest sermon title ever? And we were joking that this is like a title to one of those Puritan books, right? That is like, you know, on the, on the cover of the book, it actually just has like three or four words, but then you open it up and it's like four pages of sermon title, right? Or of, of book title. Okay. So sermon title is finish strong by opening our ears, hearts, and eyes to Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. And this emphasizes the where we're going part of the equation. So as we seek to finish strong, we've, we've titled all of our sermons the last four weeks. They've started with the phrase, finish strong, and we've looked at a bunch of different things. As we seek to finish this Hebrew series strong, as I seek to finish strong before my sabbatical, as James has finished seminary strong, as we have a, as a congregation have have finished strong here. And as we've talked about, a lot of us are, have connections with people who are finishing up the school year and heading into summer. We want to finish things well, right? We want to finish strong. And as we think about those immediate things, we also want to look big picture, right? We want to finish the race of the Christian life. We want to finish this marathon life, this marathon race of life strong. So it's not just this immediate, like, oh, I get done today and then I'm on sabbatical and I'm just, I'm just checked out, right? I'm done. No, I'm, I'm still a Christian and I'm still running this race. And whatever stage we're in, we're always, until Christ returns or takes us home, there's always this emphasis on, on looking forward and continuing to run the race. So as we seek to finish strong, then let us hear with open ears, let us believe with open hearts, and let us see with open eyes. Our passage challenges us to do all three of these things. So first, let us hear with open ears the voice of Jesus, our prophet. We begin here in verse 25 with the fifth and final warning against apostasy. 
This has been a major theme throughout Hebrews. There have been many different warnings against turning away from Christ, against apostasy. Here, this final one says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Well, who is speaking? God is speaking by his son, as we saw in 1-1, right? That's been the whole emphasis. God has spoken by his son. Do not refuse him who is speaking. And this is not a new warning in the New Testament. When Jesus' disciples asked him what would be the sign of his coming again in Matthew 24, Jesus said, see, same word that's used here, see to it, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will lead many astray. Jesus essentially said to his followers, don't listen to other voices. Keep your ears open so that you will hear the voice of your good shepherd. Go read John chapter 10. That's the whole emphasis in that chapter. Listen to the voice of the shepherd, not to these other voices. In the second sentence in verse 25, we see another of our author's beloved lesser to greater than arguments. He uses these throughout Hebrews. He says here, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Paul uses this term for the same term for reject to refer to those who turn away from the truth. It is a temptation that is especially great when we listen to other voices. Those other voices are trying to get us to turn away from the truth. We need to not reject the one who is speaking. We need to listen to him so that we don't turn away, so that we don't refuse him and reject him. And then we get to this description in verse 26 of God's voice shaking the earth, which ties back to the terrifying scene that we saw last week in verses 18 through 21, this picture of Mount Sinai, this, this judgment, this fire, this smoke, darkness. So we see that, we're told in 26, at that time his voice shook the earth, again referring to the scene at Sinai. Then the phrase, but now he has promised. So there's this turn, right? These things happen, but now he has promised. And this is followed by a quote from Haggai chapter 2. Two different places in that chapter, this, these words occur. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. In Haggai, this is a picture of both God's rule over the nations as the glories of the nations come in to build the temple. And then it is a picture of this future judgment as God promises that he will judge the kingdoms of the earth. Later, Jewish rabbis would also point to this passage in Haggai and talk about the messianic expectations that were tied to that passage as, as Zerubbabel, who is a descendant of David and, and Jesus, uh, is promised that he will, he will be the king, he will wear the signet ring. So there are these future messianic hopes that are anticipated that God will fulfill these promises. And then as we see from our author's explanation in verse 27, yet once more, he explains what this means. He says that it points to a shaking and a removing of some things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. So there are many voices out there, literally and figuratively. The, this world promises us all kinds of security. Any number of things that will supposedly keep us from being shaken, right? These, these things in the world that supposedly will stop us from, from experiencing these, these things that will shake us. 
And I want to ask, how is that working out, right? How are those things that the world offers working out at keeping us from being shaken? I don't think they're working very well. And that should lead us to ask, are we listening to the voice of Jesus? Again, that's been the challenge since Hebrews 1.1. God has spoken to us in these last days by his son. Are we listening? So let us hear with open ears the voice of Jesus, our prophet. Second, let us believe with open hearts and worship Jesus, our priest. In verses 28 and 29, we are called to have gratitude and to reverent awe-filled worship because God is a consuming fire. This language of God being a consuming fire comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses told the people how God was not allowing him to cross over into the promised land, but that they would cross over. And he told them to be careful when they did not to forget the covenant that God made with them. And then told them not to make any carved images. For, he said, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Our God is a faithful covenant-keeping God, but he is also a jealous God. He will not tolerate rivals for our allegiance, whether they be outward idols made with human hands or the inward idols that we make in our own hearts. And the good news for us on this side of the cross, which the author of Hebrews has gone to great lengths to argue, is that the fire and the wrath of God against sin that was yearly poured out on these animal sacrifices, but obviously never fully atoned for, That fire and wrath has now been poured out on Jesus, our great high priest. So what should our worship look like then? Our author actually highlights this in chapter 13, verse 15. He says, through him then, Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. God wants our hearts He wants sacrificial praise. He wants lips that acknowledge his name. So we ought to ask ourselves then, what does our worship look like? Are we just going through the motions as we gather week in and week out? Are we approaching God with ungrateful hearts? There are two approaches to worship, just as there are two voices to listen to. So let us believe with open hearts and worship Jesus, our priest, with gratitude for who he is and what he has done for us. Third, let us see with open eyes Jesus, our king, and his unshakable kingdom. Verse 28 in the ESV says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Some other translations bring out the meaning of this, I think maybe a little more clearly. One example is, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, I think that brings out this, actually brings out the present tense and kind of the ongoing nature of this. Receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken is not a one-time event. I think in the ESV, we can read it, let us be grateful for receiving. It can kind of sound like, oh, we, this is something that happened, right? When we became a Christian, we received this kingdom that cannot be shaken. But really the sense is, Therefore, since we are receiving, we are constantly receiving, constantly in the process of receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken. So it's, it's present, but it's also future, right? We need to look to the future. We need to realize that we are 
currently receiving that kingdom, and we will receive that kingdom. So just as there are two opposing voices and two opposing approaches to worship, so there are two opposing kingdoms. We saw this last week in the contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. It was the contrast between the Old Testament law and the New Covenant. Uh, We also looked at the kind of the story of redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. We saw the heavenly Jerusalem contrasted with Babel and Babylon. So all from very beginning in Genesis, and then we see that contrast come out in Revelation. We have the heavenly Jerusalem that the people are looking forward to, and then there's this earthly place, this earthly city of Babylon that is at war with God and his people. So that's been the story of human history, these two kingdoms being at war. And the people of God have been promised victory and a kingdom. But when we look around us, what do we see? Does it look like we are part of an unshakable kingdom? Most days it doesn't, does it? We see the utter chaos in the world around us. The world is shaking everywhere. There's war, there's disease, there's violence in our streets, violence in our schools. Where is this unshakable kingdom that we are supposedly receiving? I love the, I didn't didn't prepare to, to share this, but as we were singing, is he worthy? I love that opening verse. We ask, do we feel the world is broken? And we say, yes, we do, right? Do we feel the shadows deepen? Yes. But do we know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Yes, we do. Do we wish that we could see it all made new? We do. And we are, right? Because we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are seeing it all made new right now. And the answer, of course, in this song is that, yes, there is someone who is worthy, right? It is Jesus Christ, David's root, the lamb. He is worthy. The lion of Judah, he is worthy. It's too easy to get cynical. Too many people have said enough with the Christian faith because they can't reconcile what their eyes see when they look out into this sin-scarred world with what they read in the text. But we have to be able to wrestle with this tension. There has always been for the people of God this simultaneous reality of life in a fallen world and this desire to depart and to be with the Lord. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 5 when he said, for in this tent, right, talking about our bodies, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Right? We, we look forward to our resurrected bodies. We want to be done with the pain. We want to be done with the tears. We want to be done seeing friends and family members hurting and dying. He says that we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. If you're a Christian today, you need to feel this tension, right? Being at home in this world and saying, oh, everything's good, man. My, you know, I'm in great shape. I'm in the prime of my life. Things are good. Just wait, okay? And other people are laughing at me going, oh, you just wait. (laughs) But we should feel this tension. And what is Paul's answer to this? His answer, which cannot just become some trite response, is that we walk by faith and not by sight. This is the same mindset of Abraham and the patriarchs in Hebrews chapter 11, right? When it said that they were aliens and strangers, 
that on this earth they had no lasting city, that they were looking forward to a city prepared by God. Another great example of this occurs in the book of Daniel. Daniel and the people of God were exiled in Babylon, and things were looking pretty bleak. In Daniel, there's this constant refrain about God's unshakable kingdom, especially in chapter 7, that magnificent passage where Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Pay attention to this last section. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This son of man who Daniel saw in this vision is the Jesus we worship today. The one who Daniel and the exiled people of God really believed would reign forever in an unshakable kingdom. They looked forward in faith when everything around them told them the opposite. We today look back and we look to the present and we look to the future in all directions by faith at the unshakable kingdom that Christ has established by conquering sin and death and Satan through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. This is our only hope. And we can't let ourselves get tired of hearing about this. We can't tune out. We can't stop singing about it and praying about it. We can't stop saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a forward-looking prayer that we need to constantly have on our lips. And that's been the whole message of Hebrews. Don't quit. Don't quit now. Don't throw in the towel and exit the race early. Finish strong. Family and friends of James and Lexi who are gathered here today to celebrate what God has done in and through them. Livingstone Church, as we likewise celebrate what God has done, and we look forward to what he will continue to do in us and through us. Let us all see with open eyes Jesus, our King, and his unshakable kingdom. This isn't about me or James today. If you're looking to us, you're looking to the wrong person. So here's my commencement speech. Don't look to us or to your elders. We will only disappoint you. We can't change your lives because we aren't your saviors. Look to the only one who will never disappoint you and the only one who can change you. That's my commencement speech, okay? This is our author's commencement speech. Run the race with endurance. Look to Jesus and listen to God speaking through him, your prophet, priest, and king. Give thanks and worship him for the unshakable kingdom that is already yours in Christ. Jesus is the overcomer. Jesus is the world changer. And if we are any of these things in any way, shape, or form, it's not because we are great, but it's because we are in him. 
So why, dear ones, would we look to or run to anyone or anything else? Jesus is better. Say it with me. Jesus is better. Amen. Let us pray. God, as we wrap up this journey in Hebrews, we recognize that we're not really finishing anything. We're really just getting started. We're continuing on to what you have called us to do. God, you are so good. You are so faithful. You have carried us. You have provided in so many ways for us. God, even now as we turn to the ordination of James, as we celebrate and as we praise you for all that you have done, continue to remind us this is all about you. This is about your glory. This is about your kingdom. God, we are your servants. We're not seeking any glory for ourselves. And God, I pray then that you would send us out from here to be your ambassadors, to call those who are off course and not running the race, to get on the track, to get on the Jesus track and to begin running the race of life the way that you intended. God, give us compassion for those who are far from you. Give us wisdom to know how to engage even as we go into this summer with an emphasis on evangelism, may it not just be information from books. May it not just be gathering together and being comfortable, but may you challenge us, all of us, not just people from Livingstone, all of us, to engage with those who don't know you. To be salt and light as you've called us to be. To live our lives in such a way that people look at us and say, yes, Jesus is better. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. I would like to invite the commissioners up. And James, you can come up too. Grab your robe. Yeah, we can come up here. We didn't practice ahead of time, but this will work. All right. Well, I want to uh, explain a few things here. Uh, and in doing that, I want to turn your attention to the worship guide. So if you look on the inside cover of your worship guide, there are two sections here. The first one speaks about ordination. I'll just read this quickly. Today's service is a public ceremony by which our church leaders acknowledge the divine call, commission, and qualifications of James Lama to minister to us. In his ordination, he does not now receive mystical access to God, but it is an acknowledgement of God's prior call to James to the biblical office of elder. Scripture tells us that all who call Jesus Lord are priests, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, and have access to God, but Christ has also set apart officers for ministry and leadership in his church. Ephesians 4, 11. Then the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is a symbol of an elder being set apart for this work. 
In the same way, the elders laid hands on Joshua in Numbers 27 to symbolize the imparting of authority to him. Same will be done today by our elders. Also, just a word about what is not happening. This is not going to be a scene like Elijah uh, being carried off in chariots of fire in a whirlwind. I'm not going to suddenly vanish. Um, some of you might wish that would happen, but uh, I'm not going to vanish. And then all of a sudden, the power goes to James. Um, I am going on sabbatical. So I am vanishing. Yes. But yes. So some of your wishes, I guess, are being fulfilled. Thank you, Mark. But in all seriousness, uh, the next thing you'll see in there is the names of the commissioners. So this is the commission appointed by the Wisconsin Presbytery to act on behalf of the Presbytery. So we are acting as commissioners of our Presbytery in ordaining James today. Uh, the Presbytery has examined James for licensure in September of 2019 and ordination in April of this year. James has successfully completed those trials. And yes, there is a reason why we call them trials. <laughs> uh, James has also successfully completed his Master of Divinity at Reformed Theological Seminary. He just graduated on Friday. And this list of what he has done is a very impressive list. But this is not just about jumping through some hoops. James has served the congregation here at Livingstone faithfully over these past five years. He has completed his internship requirements. He has been recognized by you, the congregation. You voted to call him as your associate pastor, affirming that he's not only fulfilled these necessary requirements set out by our denomination, but that he fulfills the qualifications laid out for an elder in 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Peter 5. So the confirmation of all of these things that I've just mentioned is reflected in the questions for James and the questions for the congregation. And you can follow along. Those are printed there on the inside of your worship guide. So James, I have some questions for you. Please respond in the affirmative. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith and the catechisms of this church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will on your own initiative make known to your presbytery the change which has taken place in your views since the assumption of this ordination vow. I do. Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? I do. Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? I do. Have you been induced, as far as you know, your own heart, to seek the office of the holy ministry from love to God and a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? I have. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace and unity of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account? I do. Do you engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relational, private or public, 
and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before the flock of God, which shall make you overseer. I do. Are you now willing to take charge of this church, agreeable to your declaration when accepting their call? And do you, relying upon God for strength, promise to discharge to it the duties of a pastor? I am and I do. Good morning, Livingstone Church. Greetings from Emmaus Road. Uh, this morning, we have this uh, wonderful occasion to help in the ordination of James. Today, I would like all of the Livingstone members to raise your right hand and keep it in the air as we go through these questions. Do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive James Lima, whom you have called to be your pastor? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and to submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Do you engage to continue to him while he is your pastor to competently worldly maintenance, which you have promised, and to furnish him with whatever you may see needful for the honor of religion and for his comfort among you. Amen. I can set this on the. Let me set this here. All right. I'll get this out of the way. James. Please kneel. God, we come before you this morning and we praise you for your goodness and your faithfulness. We praise you for your call on James's life. We praise you first and foremost that you have called him to yourself as a beloved son, as a child of God. God, that you've caused him to walk in your ways to live for you, to honor you with his life. We pray also for him to continue to walk in your ways, God, to continue to run the race with endurance as a Christian. We thank you for the call upon his life to be a minister of the gospel. God, for the faithfulness you've shown to him over these past five years as he is engaged in many, many hours of studies as he has served faithfully in the church, as he enga has engaged with those who don't know you, as he has loved his wife well, as he has been a faithful friend. God, thank you for the recognition from this congregation of those things, of his godly character. God, that we can stand before you today humbly and confidently saying that this is of you. Father, bless this brother. Encourage him. Equip him with the things needed to do the work of the ministry. Strengthen him when his hands and his, wheeze, his knees are weak. Cause him, God, to walk in your ways humbly 
and confidently as a minister of the gospel. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you abide with James through all things. Allow him to finish strongly. Gird him with your armor of truth and protect him from evil and all temptation. We welcome him to the, the brotherhood of teaching elders and serve with him proudly. We ask that you bless him through his ministry forever. Amen. Holy Father, amazing to see your faithfulness in uh, the life of family and what you've done and that we get to celebrate in this. And we get to uh, be able to sit under his teaching and we get to hear the way that you uh, uh, use your word through him. And I pray, Lord, that we would, again, have ears to hear these things, that we would be able to uh, be able to be counseled by James and listen to him. And Lord, I pray that, uh, again, you would embolden him for the task that you've got before him, wherever it might be, here or planning a church somewhere. We trust in you, Lord, of what you are going to do through James, through Lexi. God, there are so many good gifts you give your church. And we thank you that we get to witness the gift of another one this morning, the mm -hmm. gift of a faithful shepherd. And we pray for James that you would use every step and every season of ministry that he is serving for you. Use it for your glory. I pray that you would use him to benefit and grow your church, to glorify your name and to shepherd your people well. I pray for him and his marriage. I pray for Lexi. I pray that you would use their marriage to glorify you, that it would be a picture of the gospel uh, throughout all the ebbing and flowing of, of ministry and, and all the challenges that it brings. I pray that ultimately people would look at them and not see the challenges, but see the beauty of you at work in their life. And we thank you for uh, this day and this occasion. And we pray that uh, you would mark it on James's heart and on Lexi's heart, that um, it would just be a reason for them to further um, joy and further uh, relish in your love. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Same thing happened to me. I couldn't get mine, and I just, I just left it. <laughs> you did better than I did. All right, brother, give you the right hand of fellowship. <laughs> I'm going to wait till the words of institution. <laughs> I'm going to give you a hug too. I was just going to wait until the words of his, I have, I have one more thing. I have one more thing. The words of institution. 
I now pronounce and declare that James Lima has been regularly elected, ordained, and installed pastor of this congregation, agreeable to the word of God and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, and that as such, he is entitled to all support, encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Reverend. <laughs> Congratulations. You can stay up here for your charge. So you have your charge. No, we're going to go down. Yep. Okay, well, good stuff. I'm glad you can be here, James. Exciting day, exciting day. Seven years ago, on a summer night, uh, we were doing a, a, a Vesper service at Emmaus Road, and uh, Adam Umbarger, uh, who's here, Adam's here, um, brought, brought James, and this guy brought his guitar, too, and he just started playing and singing at church, the Vesper service, and I was like, yes. As a church planner, there's nothing better to hear someone play the guitar, because you're always looking for musicians, that's what you're doing, and it's like, you know, the heavens opened, and thank you, God, for providing another guitar player. And uh, that's how I got to know James uh, back in the day. Uh, this is a charge. If you didn't know this, I'm giving a charge to James. So, James, I'm going to talk to you. If anyone else wants to overhear what I'm going to say to you, they can go ahead and do that. But uh, if they want to tune out, they can. Don't worry, people. It won't be too long because uh, you have to hear three pastors. But here you go. I'm going to read from uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. <clears throat> Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, le letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you, sh you show that you are the letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tables of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. James and Lexi, too. Um, you know, when pastors give charges for these kind of things, uh, we do it kind of with a smirk because it's in one sense, you don't know what you're getting into, right? It's that kind of attitude. It's kind of like being at a wedding, you know, and all the people that are married see these people that are happy and they're joyous, but you're like, do they even know what they're getting into? And that's kind of the same thing. Um, you know, you've gone through good premarital counseling, 
or should I say preordination counseling, right? Five years of training, academic, soft skills, internships, doing all this kind of stuff. You're ready. I mean, that's more than premarital counseling. You should be ready for this task. But nevertheless, this is a big hurdle to get over. This is a huge step. Trusting in God in this calling and where he might lead you. Solo pastoring, church planting, pastoring another church, whatever it could be. No matter how many skills you've mastered, case studies you've gone over, things that you've done here in an internship, it can't adequately prepare you for what is going to come. The great 20th century theologian, Mike Tyson, said it the best. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You know, in premarital counseling, we do communication exercises, expectations, family of origin, personality tests. You can run through all of those things, but it can't prepare the couple for the pressures that will come in the pressure cooker of marriage. There must be a firmer foundation, I always tell this couple. Those skills are helpful, but they will not be what you need to help you get through what's going to come, the punches in the face. James and Lexi, I have no doubt that you are qualified for ministry. You're extremely talented. You have amazing skills. You can both preach and play guitar. Who needs anyone else? Could be a one-man show. But you and I both know that in no way that will carry you in your calling. Second Corinthians is so good. Two groups, right? The super apostles, right? Those that Paul sarcastically called this group that thought they had it, that talked about their resume, their oratory skills. They looked the part, but that was not authentic ministry. Authentic ministry is what he shares here. His commendations. Accommodations don't come from a resume, being able to play chords, being able to parse scripture in the right way. No, I find it interesting. His commendation is the people. His love for the people that he bore with them. Even difficulty and hard people. He encouraged them. He was with them. Even when this church said hard things against him. Also, he challenged them. Even though he might not be liked by using those challenging words, he did it. James, this is really important to see. A pendulum in pastoral ministry can go both ways. One part of the pendulum is this, that you might ignore people, that you might tell them to get off the bus of the church or whatever it might be. You might be on that end of the pendulum because you just can't deal with it. On the other end of the pendulum is the enmeshment with people, that you don't tell them the hard things that they need to hear. If your foundation is in Christ, then the idol will not be the success in your ministry, that you can bear with people even if they slow the church down. At the same time, if your foundation is in Christ, people will not be an idol to you. You can challenge them 
when they need to be challenged, even if they don't want to hear what you have to say. James, this is a dangerous job. Sure, you're going to have good sermons. You're going to have great music, I'm sure. You're going to be hospitable, which you guys are. But James, my charge to you is this. That your confidence and your sufficiency will be found in God through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit alone. That is what will sustain you for the long haul. My job this morning is to give a charge to the congregation. So I guess, James, you don't have to listen if you don't want to, but I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to everybody else, and you may not like what I say, but I speak out of a lot of experience over the years in ministry, and I've seen things happen, and I want to address some things now in order to make life easier for James and for the church. <clears throat> Let me read, starting with um, 1 Timothy, verse 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. <clears throat> Now, just a few minutes ago, you made a promise that you would provide for James's material needs. Okay, that's great. You realize that he's raising a fair percentage of his salary. It's the PCA way, I guess, but it's, he's doing that. <clears throat> so what I would challenge you to do is to work to increase the amount of support which he receives year by year, as long as he's with the church, and hopefully the time will come when he doesn't have to raise additional support, okay? Now, my guess is if you went in to apply for a job and they say, you know, you sound like you could be great for us, either software or sales or whatever it may be, and we're going to pay you so many thousands of dollars, and you say, great, but you're going to have to go out and raise that money yourself. You probably would say, no. <laughs> so why is he doing this? Because he has a love and concern for you. He wants to be here doing this work. And so he's willing to bear the brunt of raising money in order that he can stay here and minister. So my challenge is to work to increase the amount of support that comes from the church. That's the first thing. Second, I say, show him honor. The passage talks about double honor. I think one of those honors is compensation for the work. But show him honor. <clears throat> Don't befriend him just so that you can tell him what you think the church should be doing. Have you ever had that happen? Oh. <clears throat> <clears throat> Don't do that. There's a session who takes care of the affairs of the church, 
send a letter to the clerk of session if you have some issues or things you want to talk about. They may be good things. They may be things which are not good things, but don't put the burden on James to be your messenger boy because that's not why he's here. So allow him to serve as a pastor without always worrying about whether he's going to offend you by not carrying a message that you want him to or things like that. Don't do that. It's already been mentioned that God has given gifts to the church, and some of those gifts are shepherds or pastors and teachers. Many people have the idea that when they call someone as a pastor, they finally have somebody who's going to do the work that needs to be done in the church. But the scripture says very clearly that he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So James' work as a shepherd is to teach you and equip you to do the work of ministry. How do you do evangelism? How do you pray? How do you do administrative stuff? Whatever it may be, he can teach you those things, and then you do that work of ministry. So he's not just a hired hand to do what you want him to do, but he is someone who is to teach you to do ministry. So learn from him in the various areas of ministry as he teaches you. The fourth point, and the last point, is respect his time. His ministry is to you. And as great as all of you are, sometimes he needs a break from you. It's a fact of life. Respect his day off. I know another pastor who was telling me that people say, hey, what's your day off? Oh, I'm off on Monday. Okay, why don't we go do such and such? Until he finally started telling them, well, I have a family day on Monday. That's when I do things with my family. Oh, that's okay. No, we won't do anything then. But there are times that he needs to be apart from you and not do everything there is to do with all of you. Now, he'll probably still do an awful lot of stuff because there are certain things he enjoys, which you enjoy as well, and that'll continue. But just give him his day off and his time away from you and from ministry. Respect his day off. If you do these things, I think you'll find that the church will operate in a much more efficient and peaceful manner. James will be able to do his work without groaning, and we're able to see the church continue to grow and develop as it should. Thank you. You can all stand, turn in your songbooks to page 65. So we're going to sing, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. And as I learn how to play a guitar with a robe on.